Good morning. Welcome to church. I'm so glad you are here today. And I want you to know a couple of things. I miss you and I love you. I can't wait until we get back together. Every week I just think to myself, uh, we're one week closer to getting back together as a faith family. So I hope you're doing well today and you've been able to walk through worship with us already. And so would you open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. We're going to study there today, and I'd encourage you to take a few notes as we dive deep into God's Word. Do you love being corrected? I love it. I mean, I love being corrected so much, and that's good because it happens often. A a couple of years ago, uh, we were driving in an unfamiliar part of Boston, and I was trying to get on the highway, but instead of turning onto the on-ramp, I turned onto the exit ramp by accident. Now, uh, the correction that reached my ear in that moment was swift and it was very loud. And I tried to downplay the whole scenario like I knew what I was doing. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know this is the exit ramp. It's just a shortcut, right? But I, I I was outed. I had made a colossal mistake. I was just a huge moron. I'd messed it up. But the correction got me back on the right path, which was important because there was there were headlights coming towards us. Uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians is a correction, a similar type of correction. It's swift, it's urgent, it's kind of loud in some places. Uh, And Paul's goal with this letter to the Galatians, and the goal for us also at South Shore Baptist Church, is that we would get on a right gospel path. You remember the setting of the letter. The churches in Galatia uh, had been formed by Paul and his ministry, uh, a ministry based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. But after Paul left, some Judaizers, the bad guys, they came in and they began to put into place Jewish practices. And they taught that you had to adhere to these practices in order to truly be saved. Faith in Christ was not enough. You had to believe in Christ and also uh, keep these certain rules. And so Paul's writing this letter to rescue his people from that sort of legalism. And it's a rescue that we need as well. Over the last few weeks, we focused more on the gospel, different nuances of the gospel, what it is and what it isn't. But today we're going to shift our focus in this passage and we're going to talk about legalism. Paul's going to teach us some vital lessons about legalism. And so my goal today is to sound the warning to you in regards to legalism. And my, my intent, though, is not just to swing the hammer today. Uh, this passage in our study this morning it has a lot of grace for us as well. So if we study this right, we'll heed the warning from Paul about legalism, and we will rest in the grace of Jesus Christ uh, with all of our strength and all of our might uh, for every day. So let's read together Galatians chapter 2 verses 11 through 14. If you'll follow along with me, I'll read. Paul says this. He says, But when Cephas, that's Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, 
If you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? So I want to show you in this passage three vital lessons about legalism. These are the things that we have to know, the warnings we need to heed. The first lesson this passage teaches us about legalism is that legalism comes in small, lethal doses. It comes in small, lethal doses. Now, if you remember our study last week, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, Paul told a story about a trip he made to Jerusalem. And there he met with the apostles, and they compared gospel messages and, and did all of their business together. You'll remember that. Well, now in this passage, verses 11 through 14, Paul tells us about another trip. Only this time it's Peter who takes a trip. And the Apostle Peter comes to Antioch, which is Paul's home ministry base. That's not his hometown, but it's become the base of his ministry. And his missionary journeys often start and end in the city of Antioch. Peter coming to Antioch would have been a big deal. Antioch is filled with a lot of Gentile people. And there in Antioch are these Gentile believers who are forming a church and they are there with Paul. And so Peter comes and he meets with them. And this would be such a huge visit, a big deal, because Peter is a big deal. And it would have been sweet fellowship. And to see this, this apostle who is one of the pillars uh, mingling with the people would have been such an exciting time. But then Paul says that during the course of this visit, some men from James arrived on the scene. And in verse 12, everything goes south for Peter. Uh, who are the men from James, those from the circumcision party that come and scare Peter? Uh, well, we don't know for sure who they are. James, we know well, James is the brother of Jesus. James is one of the uh, pillar apostles of the church. And in fact, earlier in chapter 2, which we studied last week, James is named as one of the people who affirms Paul's gospel and defends Paul's gospel. He leads the church in Jerusalem. So James is no gospel denier. He's not a gospel opponent. But these men that came from him, there's something about them. They uh, veer towards the way of legalism, towards the way of the Judaizers. Uh, they're going to be the type of people that tell Christians, yes, believe in Jesus, but keep these Jewish practices as well in order to truly be saved. They're the same type of opponents that have infiltrated the churches in Galatia. And for whatever reason, they have power over Peter. Whenever they show up on the scene, Peter changes in a dramatic way. He stops eating with the Gentiles and he begins to eat with these Jewish brothers. Now, why is that such a bad deal? I mean, is Peter forbidden from eating with these uh, men that came from Jerusalem? Well, no, he's not forbidden from eating with them. Uh, but the problem is this. When Peter separates himself from Gentiles out of fear of the circumcision party, to use Paul's words, well, he's doing so for theological reasons. He is making a statement with this simple separation, changing dinner tables from the Gentile table to the Jewish table. What he's saying is he's affirming the message of these legalistic false teachers. He's saying faith in Christ is not enough, but I'm going to adhere to these Jewish practices and you should too. Now, those words probably didn't come out of Peter's mouth, 
But that's what his life portrayed in this small scene where all he does is change the table that he's eating at. It all happened at a dinner table. His failure was not in a courtroom. It it wasn't before a huge crowd of people, not at the Roman Colosseum. It's dinner time. Just a small action at a meal. And that's the way this goes for so many of us. Legalism is like a viper's venom. A small dose can have devastating effects. Jesus explained it this way to his disciples. Uh, uh, One of my favorite stories in the New Testament in Mark chapter 8, Jesus takes a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread and he multiplies that in a miracle and feeds this huge multitude of people. Afterwards, the disciples who had passed out all the food take up all the leftovers and they get into a boat to sail across the Sea of Galilee but they forgot to take leftovers with them. When they look around, they realize they only had one loaf of bread with them in the boat. My guess is that the chubbiest disciple is the one that brought the loaf of bread. Uh, Everyone else just forgot. But they begin to bicker amongst themselves. And in this scene in Mark chapter 8, look, if you and I were there, we're smart people. Here's what we would have done. We would have recognized Jesus just took a little bit of food and made a lot of food. And that's a sign, that miracle is a sign that tells us he is God, our provider. And if I trust him with my little bit of stuff, he's going to do great things. And so you and I in that moment would have given the one loaf of bread to Jesus and said, you are God, take care of us. But the disciples, they are not as smart as we are, and they did not do that. They bicker among themselves. Why do we not have any bread with us in the boat? It's a colossal scene of stupidity. And Jesus voices these words to them. Mark eight fifteen. he says, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. It's a weird warning. But what's he saying? Yeast, this small thing, it symbolizes unbelief. And he's telling his disciples, beware the unbelief that comes from groups like the Pharisees or from someone like Herod. That little bit of unbelief, though I'm in the boat, and you just saw the miracle, and all things are possible in me, that little bit of unbelief will have devastating results. That's the same thing happening here at the dinner table uh, in Antioch. I find that heresy and hypocrisy, they seldom happen uh, on a grand stage or in this monumental moment. They are an accumulation of many small anti-Christ choices that we make in our lives. And so when you and I look at this story and we see Peter change where he eats, pick a different table, and thereby step away from the gospel, we find ourselves right there with him. It's time to examine our hearts and ask of our own selves, Lord, where am I walking away from you? Where does my life depart from the gospel? So knowing that a little bit of legalism has a disastrous result, we have to mine our hearts, not in some sort of frantic way, but in the calm humility of people who trust in Jesus Christ, prayerfully to ask him, Lord, show me my sin. Help me to know my unbelief and to walk with you. Let me give you a tool that might help with this. Uh, One of my favorite books I use in my devotion life often, uh, it's a favorite book around South Shore Baptist Church, in fact, is called The Valley of Vision. Uh, It's a collection of Puritan prayers. And one particular prayer that I have lived in from time to time says this. 
Lord Jesus, give me a deeper repentance, a horror of sin, a dread of its approach. Help me to flee it and to resolve that my heart shall be thine alone. Plow deep in me, great Lord, heavenly husbandman, that my being may be a tilled field, the roots of grace spreading far and wide. Quarry me deep, dear Lord, and then fill me to overflowing with living water. That's a familiar prayer to me because I'm well acquainted with sin. And when I see Peter acting the way he does, I know it's time for me to ask questions about myself. Where is my life departing, even in small ways, from the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ? Why must we mine our lives of sin? Well, that's because of the second lesson about legalism that Paul gives us in this story. The second lesson we learn is that legalism has a huge blast radius. It comes in some small, effective doses, but it has a massive blast radius. What kind of damage does legalism inflict? Well, Paul, just as he rattles off the story naturally, he identifies five areas of damage, five types of damage that occur whenever we step away from the gospel, when we step away from Christ, and when we embrace legalism, when we act as if the good that we do will uh, endear God to us, or the bad that we avoid will give us favor with Him. Uh, When we step in any way away from reliance on the cross and what Christ did there, there's a blast radius. And so let me quickly just identify these five areas of damage or five types of damage that Paul articulates in the story. The first is this, in verse 11, it's a broken relationship with God. Legalism always results in a broken relationship with God. Verse 11, he says that when Cephas, that's Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. So Peter stood condemned in that moment. He has stepped away from Christ. Now, I'm not saying that Peter has lost his salvation or that he was never saved, but I'm saying, according to Paul's words, that Peter is living in a hellish way. He stands condemned. And here's the warning you might need to hear this morning. If you are trying to live your life with a Christless religion, then, friend, you stand condemned. I don't tell you that because it makes me happy. I tell you that because I care for you. And I want you to hear this warning. I want you to learn from this passage that a religion without Christ leaves you condemned. And I don't care what qualifiers you use. You could say, uh, well, I, this is my political persuasion. The, the, these are the ways I've served my community. This is how I've served my country. These are the kids I've raised. These are the bills I've paid, the, the wealth I've accumulated. What, it doesn't matter. Those things burn away at the judgment. If you don't stand with Christ, you stand condemned. But if you would turn away from your sin and if you would turn to Jesus Christ who is the only one to turn to because he's God in the flesh, born of a virgin. Uh, He died on the cross because he loves you. He died for your sin. And three days later, he rose from the dead. If you will turn to him and trust him, you won't stand condemned. You'll stand blessed. You'll stand forgiven. You'll stand righteous. You'll stand holy. God's word promises us there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Legalism always breaks our relationship with God. But it's God's grace that builds us back together. 
So the first type of damage is a broken relationship with God. Second is a broken relationship with other believers. In verse 12, Paul describes the scene. He says, Peter regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself. And so the table of unity has become a table of separation. Now, the table of fellowship has become a table of exclusion. The table of joy has become a table of condemnation. Peter's destroying his relationships. Third type of damage, it leads others into hypocrisy. In verse 13, then the rest of the Jews joined Peter's hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was carried away. Even Barnabas carried away by this hypocrisy. We have to understand that our legalistic ways of thinking, speaking, living will impact the lives that we influence. Kids, spouse, grandkids, neighbors, co-workers, the lives that we influence will be led down this condemned road if that's the road we choose as well. A fourth type of damage, it abandons the good news. In verse 14, Paul says, when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel. So they have veered away from the good news of Jesus Christ. And the fifth and last type of damage, it destroys evangelism. Paul, again, verse 14 says, when I saw they were deviating from the gospel, I told Peter in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? So Peter correctly states, or excuse me, Paul correctly states that Peter has nothing more to say to these Gentile people if this is the way he's going to lead his life. He's lost his credibility. Uh, he's damaged the sincerity of the gospel with the choices that he's made, with the legalism that he is invoking. He's doing real damage to the witness of the church. So when we see legalism... Uh, resulting in this sort of damage. We've got to take it so serious. We have to recognize that we can't leave this unchecked in our lives or just live this way and assume it's going to do us okay in the end. One of my favorite quotes from Pastor John Piper, you're probably familiar with him, is this in one of his sermons. He said, don't dally with your destroyer. That's got to be our approach to legalism. We can't dally. We can't toy with our destroyer. Do not give that wicked way of thinking one inch of real estate in your heart and in your life. Now, so far, it's been pretty heavy. It's been a lot of warning so far, but we don't end there. We end with grace. The third lesson we learned about legalism this morning is that legalism is a target of God's grace but rather the legalist. That's me and you. We are the targets of God's grace. So can you imagine that whole dinner scene? I mean, just the previous day, Peter had eaten with these Gentile brothers. But now he skips them all together and he sits with these Jewish power brokers. And he does so in order to save his own skin. And he takes on all of these Jewish practices that he's no longer living under or abiding by. And I love that Paul just outs him in front of everyone. He just shows up and drops this huge truth bomb in the middle of the meal. And he didn't pull Peter aside later, later or quietly and, and just, you know, hey, Peter, you might want to think about what this. He just, right there, he dealt with it. And why? Why so public? Well, it's a public sin, and it regards the gospel and so I think Paul is public with Peter's error and his correction, 
not just for Peter's sake, but for the sake of those Gentile brothers and the sake of those men who came from James who do not embrace the gospel. It's for the sake of all of them that he calls Peter out. And he essentially says to Peter, what do you think you're doing? You no longer live like a Jew. You don't live under the burden of Jewish legalism. You live in the grace of Jesus Christ. You effectively live like a Gentile. So how are you now going to go to these Gentiles and tell them, no, guys, we've got to begin to adopt these Jewish practices. Peter, that doesn't make any sense at all. That's not who we are. That's not what we preach. Now, maybe you think Paul crossed the line. Maybe he should have handled this privately, which would reveal how little you and I understand God's grace. God's correction of our sin is always a gift of grace. And if that correction is public and humiliating, it is a grace that our souls need more than anything else. Can you imagine the horror of being left in your sin and your error without a loving, compassionate God to come and woo you away, to pull you away, even with a public shaming? Paul is God's tool of grace in Peter's life in this moment. So here's my question to you. Is there anyone in your life who has permission to give you spiritual correction? And I don't just mean the pastor on on this side of the camera. I mean, in your life, is there a friend that you trust and that brother or that sister can come to you and say, you are out of step with Jesus Christ and it is time to correct? Who's that person for you? Do you have a name? Do they know that they have this permission? And what's more, do you initiate Oftentimes, I would be inclined to just sit back and say, "Hmm, no one's complaining, I must be dominating the world. But that's not the case. What I need to do is go to someone I trust and say, speak into my life. I want to walk in holiness with Jesus Christ, and I'm blind to my sin, and I need you to help me see it. So that's my challenge to you this week, is to, this week, this week, is to call on a trusted Christian friend, and set up a meeting, some sort of conversation, and give them this assignment. I want you to speak into my life and help me to see my sin. If you love me, (laughs) you can do this, all right? That's your assignment this week. Now, what if you don't have someone? What if you have no one to call on? Well, you're not left alone. You're not left an orphan in your faith. If you have no one else, you know who you do have? You have God the Holy Spirit. And that's not a small thing. I'm telling you the truth here also. Look, in John chapter 16, verse 8, we're told that one of the roles of God the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin. So when I sit with the Bible, and I get the Word of God in me, and I go prayerfully before my Heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit speaks to me. And He convicts me of my sin and leads me in paths of righteousness. You're not left alone. Sit with him this week and say, God, Holy Spirit, show me my sin. Help me to walk in the way of righteousness. And there you find God's beautiful, perfect, humbling grace that will care for your soul and lead you in the right path. So we've learned some really vital lessons this morning about legalism. It comes in tiny, lethal doses. It has a huge blast radius, and it is cured by the grace of God. Now, in this story, I don't know about you, I want to be Paul. 
who comes in and swings the hammer. Or I, I want to be the Gentile believers who are sort of oppressed in this story. But that's not who we are. We're Peter, first and foremost. We've made the same mistakes. We've stepped away from Christ, deviated from the gospel. We've left the table of, table of grace for the table of the law. And so throughout Jesus' ministry, uh, he used the dinner table as a place to teach people about his kingdom, about salvation. And so Jesus ate with tax collectors and other notorious sinners because the kingdom of God is for them. And he also ate with Pharisees because the kingdom of God is for them. At these tables, he shows how the kingdom of God is for anyone who would hear the gospel and respond in faith. And then in Revelation chapter 19, another meal is described. It's the wedding feast of the Lamb. And everyone who has been saved by putting their faith in our crucified and risen Lord, every Gentile believer, every Jewish believer will pull up a chair and eat and drink to the glory of God. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, don't wait another day. Don't live another moment in that condemnation, but turn from your sin and give your life to Jesus Christ. Trust him with everything. And when you do, you're going to find that you too have a seat at that glory table. Together we'll all lift our glasses and we will break our bread in praise of our glorious host who bore our condemnation and brought us to the feast. Let's pray together. So Holy Father, we confess to you uh, our sin by which we have lived in denial of Jesus. We thank you for the forgiveness we have through faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the grace you've given us in abundance. Lead us in repentance away from those destructive ways of thinking and speaking and acting. And let us feast on righteousness and worship so that your name would be glorified and the nations would taste and see that the Lord is good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.